Hi, I'm Jude. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jude. Hi. Um, I am also a, a severe body obsessor. Yeah. So I want to thank Daphne for asking me to be here, and thanks everyone for doing service. Um, and welcome to the newcomers. Or anyone struggling with abstinence, I have been there. I guess I'll start by saying um, this October 6th, or seventh, I never can remember. I have, uh, my, my sponsor used to remind me when it was, um, 26 years of abstinence. Um, I started in program in 1987 when I was uh, going into, right before my senior year in college. So I'll tell you a little bit about what it was like. If you did it with food, I probably did it with food. Um, I got very creative with how I could get food in me. I never wanted to throw up. I was never geared toward, wired toward bulimia or anorexia, but I swing mentally in those areas. So um, my experience with food was stuff as much down as I possibly could till I couldn't get any more physically down here. Like, uh, I don't know... As an addict, you don't think, I did not think that this was harming me. I felt horrible, but it felt like the kindest thing I could do to myself from a very young age was eat as much as I possibly could all the time, except vegetables. Um, (laughs) Two of my best friends in program, before we started socializing, we were program friends, and the first time we went out, um, to have dinner together, we were sharing war stories like, what did you eat? What did you, you know, and got specific. And I was shocked to learn that they would binge on heads of lettuce. I was like, I don't get it. That makes no sense to me. But we all belong here. It doesn't matter. I spent a lot of time on my knees in front of refrigerators, stuffing cake in my mouth at 2 a.m. Um, I tried... Weight Watchers, I don't know if it's okay to mention that, whatever, but I I was not a good dieter. Never was a good dieter. Couldn't stick to anything. So, and I was in that that program with my dad, who is a compulsive overeater. um, And I'm okay calling him what I believe he is. (laughs) I don't really care. (laughs) And um, I don't think he would even mind at this this time, but um, we were binge buddies. And we went to Weight Watchers together, and this was before, like, my version of that program was if I wanted a, um, I think, a cinnamon Danish, it was like a piece of low-fat cinnamon raisin toast, and then you could put low-fat cottage cheese on it and sprinkle a little cinnamon on it, and you stick it in the oven, and you're like, this is great, I'm having this. I don't know. So I would try to eat according to that program. Uh, again, my I think that was my soft before my sophomore year in college, and so I would restrict all day long. That would be maybe my breakfast, and then I would eat like snap pea pods, whatever they're called, like a pound, like this much during the day, and then I'd, I'd cook and bake all night long and binge all night long. Something was not right, um, <laughs> and uh, the times that I have thrown up from overeating were. Unintentional, it was to decrease a fever that I had. Like, I would, I would eat so much, I would sweat and get a fever, and I couldn't sleep, and I, I thought I was going to die, and it would send me to the bathroom to throw up. Junior year, or bef- yeah, between junior and senior year, I was living with my dad um, and my stepmom, 
And um, I remember watching a TV show at 2 in the morning. I had been waitressing, came home at 1 a.m., was watching a TV show where these two char- one character was a cop and was struggling with alcohol and was hitting bottom with alcohol. And I didn't know about compo- uh, Overeaters Anonymous at that point, but I watched this person struggle with alcohol on TV, and I just started, started sobbing. I was like, that is me. And I was hiding food under my mattresses and in various... Like, I didn't want my stepmother, who was real thin and could eat, like, an elephant's worth of food and not ever gain weight, to eat my food, so I would hide it from her. Not that she ever really ate my food. I just was paranoid, and it wasn't paranoid. I wanted to make sure I was safe. That's really what it is. The food made me feel safe. If I had enough of it stashed around, I could feel safe. So I, uh, this was also the first year that I remember health food being sexy. Like, it was popping up everywhere. And there were these rice cakes that were really chewy, and I used to eat, like, five of them. And my jaw hurt so bad at 2 in the morning as I was watching this TV show from just chewing and chewing. And I hit my knees, not out of prayer, but I crawled out of my bedroom into the kitchen where uh, my bedroom was off, and I just was sobbing so loud I woke my stepmother up, and she came down and found me on the floor sobbing like I can't. I haven't thought about this in a really long time, but I, I can't, couldn't go on that way. And um, I went to my first OA meeting um, that maybe the next day or the next day after, and I hated you all, hated, hated you all holding hands, praying. I don't think I can swear to the extent that I really want to on this tape, but that was like, I was, it was vile to me. The only thing that stuck, me, stuck with me to this day is this woman who is much older than I was at the time and probably much younger than I am now, had her, had her hair in like blonde pigtails, and she was wearing shorts. And she wasn't super thin and she wasn't super fat. She was just average. And she glowed with serenity. I didn't know what the word serenity meant at the time, but she was talking about the freedom from obsession. And I felt, um, I felt attracted to that, that, this, that the fact that this program is attraction, not promotion, really spoke to me then. No one, no one really gave a shit if I stayed in that meeting, honestly. You know, everyone, it's a selfish program that winds up helping other people. You know, like, that's like uh, an amazing thing about 12-step programs, that I come for myself, I stay for myself, but I can't really recover or be serene without you, and so I want the best for you as well. Um, and And I can't make you have recovery. I can just share my experience, the strength that I've gotten from all of you, and my hope and and uh anyway i um tried to do programs i did i was i don't remember how old i was whatever that is uh 1920 my birthday's in september so i was always sort of like a year like behind people um i was always the youngest in the room by the way i'm not really liking getting older because i'm finding in la like i don't know what happens everyone's dropping off and i'm going to out survive everyone but um um, it didn't stick. My bottom came from it not sticking. Like, I'm so grateful that I hit bottom, but I wouldn't wish it on anyone the way I did it. Uh, 
I learn things often the hard way. My bottom hurt very much. Um, after my senior year in college, uh, I went away to do a sort of an apprentice program for a year, so I was out of my world. And I hit bottom binging and uh, with physical injuries. And this mother figure that I met in my profession told me that her boyfriend, I was, a, I was in Kentucky, and her boyfriend in New York where I was going back to uh, was a psychotherapist who worked with young women with eating disorders and low self-esteem. Did I want her to put me in touch with him? Uh-huh. <laughs> so part of my story is pretty grotesque, so I'm just going to say that. But my, my bottom is my gift. But this uh, man turned out not to be a therapist. He turned out to be a pathological liar that she pimped out to people. So... I was raped by him, but I'm just going to say, like, I'm old enough to know, like, it's okay. Like, I, we survive stuff. It was very bad. I went to rape crisis counseling, then I went to a meditation center, and then I came back to OA. But the reason I knew OA was the answer is because I saw this man for eight months thinking he was a therapist, not knowing I was being raped. Like, just... I was a very emotionally young 22-year-old when I met him. I was about the age of four, frankly, emotionally. So I was so scared. My, my God-given instincts were screaming, get out, get out, get out. And my addict instincts was this. And because this is being recorded, I will say what this is, this is stuffing my face, stealing food on my way to the therapy sessions, binging my way there, knowing the food was in my purse, binging my way back to the subway and back to Brooklyn, binging all night long so that I didn't have to feel that I was so scared of this person. So when it says on pages 60 to 63 in the big book that we put ourselves in positions to be hurt, we were doormats. Don't like this man, don't know what happened to this man, press charges, never went anywhere. But because of my disease, I put myself in positions to be hurt. I didn't rape myself, but had I had program, had I, had, had I been brought up a different way, had I not had this disease, it might have been different. But um, it wasn't. And I knew. I was like, well, there was just no, like... I guess I could have been in denial a lot longer. I guess. You never know. I go, over the years, over these uh, many years of being in program, more and more levels of denial have been lifted. But at the age of 23, I came back to program, and I was like, yeah. I raised my hand. I held your hand. I said the prayers. I took it slowly because part of my disease is of perfectionism, and I want the fix right God damn now. I want it now. I can't sit in the pain. I can't, can't, can't. But the can't sit in the pain is because I'm so afraid of what's out there. Like, what's going to happen next? And because I didn't uh, have a sense of a loving world, yeah, out there was scary. What was next was scary. As I said, I am an extreme body obsessor. I did not know that when I first came in. I was asked to share at this meeting... I think a couple days after I showed up in another meeting sobbing 
just like last week or the week before, about the self-loathing around my body. And I, all, you know, I have a long history of physical ailments that I keep getting past. But I was feeling very vulnerable at the meeting where I was sobbing, like, I just hate my, like, I can't, the cellulite is going to kill me. I'm, I'm, it's like quicksand, I'm drowning in cellulite, it's going to eat me alive. And it felt so bad, you know, that's the disease, it feels so bad, like that's my entire existence. When you look at me, this is my front, if I turned around and you looked at my butt, you'd be like, cellulite, oh God, run. (laughs) I'm scared it's going to start showing up on my face, right? Like my illness is going to show up right here, and it does. And when I used to hand out, you know, the photos so you could see what it was like, it wasn't that I was obese. I was never obese. My story was not that, and I was never anorexic. It was pure, abject misery. The, the picture, the selfie that I took that night, I don't know, before selfies, you know, I had like a camera, and I'm like, take a picture of this moment where you are so miserable. And I can't imitate it today. My face doesn't really go like that anymore. So, the final frontier for me, and I'm jumping around a little bit, and then I'm going to really get back to God, because I haven't really mentioned God, so I'm not going to get back to it. I'm going to mention it, because that is a huge part of my recovery. Um, The final frontier seems to be self-love and radical self-acceptance. Like, thank God I was crying in that meeting and just sobbing, like, oh, so much pain about what I think of myself. Because my body is just a touchstone of, like, what I think of myself in all areas of my life. And I believe, I've experienced that when the pain is so bad in one area of my life, whatever it is, it's, it's great because it's up for healing. I can't ignore it. If it's in the shadows, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. But if it's like whacked and, you know, like right in my face, I'm like, oh, okay, now I can add some medicine to it. And I will say, God is my medicine. And God shows up in an infinite number of ways. Because in my opinion, like it says in the big book, God is, I think it's God is either everything or nothing at all. I think it's in the second step, you know, what's it to be? And I choose because I feel better when I choose. It's to be that God is everything. Now this, you know, people might wonder and I wonder too, like, well, what about that pathological liar therapist person, non-therapist person? (laughs) Is that God? The way I look at it, the way I've grown over the past five years to look at it is everything is God. Not everything knows it's God. I am, and I don't walk around going, I am God, I am God, I am God. I'm saying God is expressing itself through me. I don't express God. God is, my job is not to express you or it or whatever it's to go I you know with, through the prayers I offer myself to thee to do with me and build with me as thou wilt um, the third step prayer is probably after maybe even before St. Francis of Assisi's prayer my favorite prayer I don't know why that's not for everybody you know but it works for me I mean I could tell you why I, I know why it is for me but I don't know exactly why it hits me the way it does. Um, I was abstinent for many years without believing in God that I loved. I did not love God. If I had a God, God was a bastard. God was a Nazi. 
God was my mother, also a Nazi. <laughs> and I'm not kidding, <laughs> like an emotional Nazi. Both my parents are pathological liars. I, like, they really are. They, so how I wound up with that therapist, phony therapist, like, it's not an accident. So is there God in showing me patterns? Yep. Do I talk to my mother today? Nope. It took me 23 years of abstinence and so multiple, you know, a couple decades to realize I get to take care of myself on a very profound level. I have people in my life who are kind, who tell me the truth. And this program helped me learn to tell the truth, to apologize, to be accountable. And like I said, I did not have a good relationship with God. So step work helped me uncover um, all the ways that I had mean images in my life. God was an image, a very punitive image. Um, I'm looking around at all your faces and I don't know that I would be saying anything new. Like I hope people can get even just one tiny thing like that woman with the pigtails for me you know like it's just my story it's just my life my life has always been super interesting to me up to a point you know it's like my life (laughs) I heard um, I heard someone share at a meeting that the steps for him were like driving a car like you're, thank you, five minutes, driving a car, so you're looking out ahead through the windshield, and it's a big space, you're looking ahead, you're going this direction, and the rear view mirror is tiny, you glance back. And so to avoid morbid self-reflection, which is also part of my history of like extreme depression, uh, and extreme like, oh, look at how awful, even five minutes ago, oh, look at how awful. <laughs> Um, I don't spend much time there. If I'm there, I know I'm there, and I ask for help, and I get out pretty quickly. Um, okay, very quickly, I will, speaking of quickly, uh, I've gone, I had my entire pelvis rebuilt, broken and rebuilt. I've had, you know, so, it, so my body's been through a lot. I have had chronic back pain that got resolved. My pain that had my hips broken got resolved. Last week, uh, I found out, you know, like I had a life-threatening illness diagnosed as being okay now, right? Like I've been through a lot physically. That's just scratching the surface. Oh, yeah, they thought I had MS 10 years or 12 years ago because they found lesions on my spinal cord. I'm dying at every moment. I'm dying, and I keep not. Like that's, so like making my life boring is my goal. (laughs) Boring is nice. That was not how it was prior to program. Everything was like, oh, it's so, everything is great, everything is horrible. I have, a, I have a very nice husband who loves me and thinks I'm awesome for some reason because um, it's not me. I don't believe, like, I believe that I can't force things that aren't supposed to be and I can't really screw something up that is supposed to be. I mean, I could really screw something up, but I'd have to work really hard at it. The other way, forcing stuff that's not meant to be, I've tried, and I am powerless. 
This is a, you know, I don't even think of this as recovery anymore. This is just a way of life. Like, I, yeah, we're sick. Everyone's sick. There's something going on with everybody. This is a dis-ease. This is a disease of compulsive overeating and of self-loathing. But I'm not, I don't think of myself as being in recovery. I think of myself as someone who has found, luckily, a solution that is spiritual in nature, that by working the steps I get to uncover what's blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit, which is everything. So the stuff that doesn't look good, flooding, disease, babies dying, you know, like whatever, whatever it is, crazy ass parents. And I, I'm sorry for my parents. They're very sick people. I am truly sorry for both of them. They suffered a lot. Doesn't mean I have to accept it. But when I say take away my difficulties in the third step prayer, I'm saying take away my difficulties in my head. Because when my perspective is right, the world is right. Even Houston, you know, like that, then I can be of service. If I'm in my disease, if I'm in my lousy, not God-directed perspective, I'm just going to spiral out of control into, into misery, into self-loathing. And then, who knows, like maybe I wouldn't, maybe I would be of help to someone in Houston. But I don't even know. Like, it's about being of service and I can't be of service if I'm not clear. The steps help keep me clear. I didn't say anything about what my abstinence is, so I'll just pretty much end by saying um, I don't binge no matter what. I eat whatever I want. And I... Um, have had a lot of abstinence, uh, a lot of food plans over the years. One food plan was the hardest food plan ever that my sponsor gave me. It was like, you eat whatever you want as long as you love yourself. And I'm like, no. No. You can't do that, can you? Like, it can't be done. But it can be done. The bar is really high. And that was early in program, okay? That was like, ugh. But... It worked until I got to the next food plan. <laughs> I want to make exercise part of my food plan. And my, my old sponsor said, nope, you know, nope. Uh, or no, not part of my food plan, part of my abstinence. And she's like, no, not, not part of your abstinence. Really go think about that, you know, because I thank you. I will end by saying have fun in recovery and <laughs> give service as like I'm that's my mandate for myself. Like. Love, love God, be devoted to God, which leads me to the steps. The steps lead me to God, back and forth, lead me to you. Be of service to God, be of service to you, be of service to myself. Forgive, and I wish you all a beautiful life living these steps and uh, in these rooms. Thank you. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. So since this is being recorded, I'll restate the question after it's asked. Um,
think that's it. Yes. Thank you so much, Could you just um, elaborate a little bit more on your higher power, what God is to you, and how you made the connection, and what you do to keep the connection? Sure. So the question, uh, yeah, the question was asked, uh, can I elaborate on my higher power? Um, and I think, you know, what it is I do to keep my connection or what I think my higher power is. So um, that is actually my favorite topic. Thank you. Um, it was never my favorite topic. I was very angry uh, and lonely, even in program, because I saw a lot of people really, like newcomers, you know, I was like 12 years into newcomers would be like, I love my God. I'm like, what is that? So I really was... <laughs> Searching, and actually, I mean to say that like I could be abstinent through these rooms, and you being a form of higher power for me. Um, my sponsors used to say, "Borrow my higher power." My friends in program would say, "Here's my higher power." God is your boyfriend. God is your you know best friend. What you know whatever loving parent. Um, and about five years ago. I met someone who, who was in program, um, not my program, not this program, but a program who had a higher power that I really wanted. Something about how he was talking made me feel the spirit was alive in him. So my higher power, as I've come to know it, him, is omnipresent. You know, like, what, what does God mean? God is everything mean to me. Well, it's everywhere present. It's never not there. It is the very breath that I have. It's, pardon the scriptural reference, but, you know, closer than breathing, nearer than hands and feet. It, um, it because it is all power, for me, there's no other power to worry about. Even my thoughts aren't power, you know, to me. My thoughts come and they go and they come and they go. I spend a lot of time thinking they mean something about me. Even the good thoughts. I'm great. No. You know, like, it's a start. Like, I can think my way. Um, well, prayer is one way I think, right? So prayer sets my thinking along the lines to get me to my higher power. So when I say, God, I offer myself to thee, I have to know what I'm, what thee is. So thee is, the best way I can put it for myself, and hopefully it will make sense to someone, is God just is. And it's all loving like, if I could get to a place where I'm like, God is, and leave it at that, that's great. I know I'm totally plugged in. But I define God as being all-loving, all-present, all-power, all-knowing. So, career, relationships, money. Do I have to tell God, I need to make my rent, or I need to get this job, or I need to get my cat seen by the vet? God, if God's all-knowing, what do I have to tell God? So, I spend time... Prayer for me is more about, when I'm saying a prayer, it's more about trying to align myself with this isness so that I can commune with it and eventually, hopefully, get those nanoseconds of complete union with my higher power. And it really is nanoseconds. It's like, uh, I feel it in a breath, or I feel it in a tap on the shoulder, or I feel it in a... 
in a call, like uh, not a call, but a text from my program friend saying, hey, are you free to speak on? I'm like, oh, okay, God, like, fine. You know, because I want to say, I want to make excuses and be like, no, God, I can't go share about my 25, almost 26 years of abstinence because I still hate my body. But I don't hate it every day. Like, I'm still progressing. I'm a work in progress. And my relationship with God is a work in progress. And I ask for God to reveal its will, his will, to me. And if I don't get an answer right away, I just get up and do the next right thing. So good orderly, good orderly direction, that acronym for God being an acronym for that worked for me for many years. So it's all as a way to have more freedom to be the hole in the donut because in that hole is everything I offer myself to that hole so I can be free and guided and then I'm not in my head worrying about everything only two things I worry about <laughs> just kidding <laughs> thank you yeah Daphne thank you so much for the amazing um, share and qualification you mentioned that you have a wonderful husband so clearly you've been in any program because he's been here for a while just wondering is he um, is he a normie and how does he work around your programs you know <laughs> um, okay so the question is my my nice husband is he normie you know is he a normie around food probably that's the main thing um, and how does he work around my program uh, he is a normie around food and he's uh, he's the first guy in my life whose jeans I can't wear because he's thinner than I am and I don't like that <laughs> I have never liked that he's very athletic he I, his metabolism comes from his mother like everybody in his family is very slender um, he does what do I say about him <laughs> he's Sometimes it bothers me, but it wasn't. You weren't asking how it affects me. You were asking how it affects him. Um, I met him. Uh, well, gosh, we go way back. Uh, I met him in 1992 on our first date, and then we had our second date in 2002, and then we were engaged. <laughs> then we were engaged three years late or three months later. So uh, it's, it was sort of like. I guess this year will be 14 years that we've been married. So in the, I was trying to like figure out how, how many times, I can count on a hand how many times I've been pissed off that he took my food. That's not bad, because I used to, I, you know, like snacks are a thing. Like, don't eat my low-fat chips. You've got your high-fat chips over there. And he'll be like, what? I'm like, remember, I'm a compulsive overeater, and that's the recovery is. It's not a daily thing we have to talk about. You know, like, I, I don't have to remind him every single day. Had he met, had we dated early in my recovery, he would have been met by a scowling, glowering face if he came near my, like, sitting at a table, you know, white-knuckling my way, my, especially my first year in, uh, I've had a couple first years, right? 1987 was my first first year, and then in 1990, when I returned and stayed, that was my second first year, and that was better. There was more serenity, although I was restricting. So for him, he's just like, oh, right, right, you have this issue, got it. And he doesn't really care. I guess that's my long-winded answer. As long as I, you know, like, I'm often offering him, do you want this? Do you want this bite? Do you want I don't recognize myself that way. So. 
I don't share easily. If you did not eat, like, what's it, a vacuum cleaner in my family, you know, like, fast and furious and everything, it went to my dad first and foremost. Like, he, he got it first. So I still am a very fast eater. I'm a little embarrassed about it. But usually if I'm with other people and I do it, and sometimes when I'm alone, if I beat you eating, I go, I win. You know? <laughs> so, self-love. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, the question was, do I have any daily practices with my food or meditation and prayer? Prayer and meditation, if I could do it 24-7, that, that honestly is my goal, to be in a state of prayer 24-7, even while I'm sleeping. And I will work for that till the day I die. I used to think, you know, it's like upon awakening, right? You open the big voice, like upon awakening, we do this, and then we say this prayer, and then we can be done. And then at night, we do this other prayer, and then we can be done. Um, and over the past five years, I've realized that my life is better when I am thinking of God all the time. Because I'm going to be thinking something all the time. It really is true. Like, I have a choice. And like I said, the steps give me the choice. My friends in program give me the help. Help me make the choice. Help me realize I have a choice where I put my focus. It's either going to be on this side of the room. No, sorry, boom. It's not about you. It's like this side of the room going, oh, my God, my life is horrible and obsessed and obsessed and obsessed. Or over here, it's like God has all power. You know, may I find him now, it now, her now, them now, all now. My, my daily practice is just constantly trying to remember to get to that place. So... When I'm doing dishes, oh right, God is all power. When I sit down to do work, God is all power. When I'm, I like my work, so I can lose time and lose myself in my work, but I want to stop and be like, all right, I'm not self-propelled here. God is pushing me or, you know, gently through this. Thank you, God. 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 If I could just do that all day long, that would and does change my entire experience of my life. But yeah, around food, sometimes, I, I will tell you, I am not, I don't like to cook, I suck at it. If I could, if I weren't married and didn't have money to eat out, I'd probably be living off of Susie Q's still. No, not really, but you know, like, I don't cook. I, I'm just like, I grab stuff. So my husband is never going to hear this, so I'm going to say, like, he's not a great cook. But he tries so hard and he cooks for me. So my daily practice is to eat when I'm hungry, stop when I'm not, and then sometimes I get to dinner and I'm like, I'm starving, I forgot to eat. I forgot to eat. No, I don't ever forget to eat prior to program. Sometimes I forget to eat. And I'm like, hurry up and cook a meal. And I'll have a snack beforehand. So, yeah, I'm, I'm messy. Yes, go ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. I, I think there are a lot of Thank you for the question. The question was, the, the context was, I think a lot of people in this room, in these rooms have uh, experienced uh, sexual 
abuse, being taken advantage of. Have I forgiven this man, and if so, how? Um, yes, I've forgiven him, and then no, I haven't. It comes back. But mostly, I would say the hardest people to forgive are my parents, because I see how their abuse led me directly to that, and it breaks my heart. But how I forgave him and how I continue to forgive him is I, oh gosh, it's a really good question. And it really happened like about four years ago in meditation. I had my eyes closed, you know, and I was, I, I saw him visually, don't know why, but on trial. Never went to trial, but I saw him up on the stand, you know, like, and, um, you know how in St. Francis of Assisi's prayer, it's like, uh, I'm going to get it wrong, it's my favorite thing ever, but it's, um, it's better to be, it's better to understand than to be understood, to forgive than to be forgiven, for it is by, um, you know, self-forgetting that one finds, and remind me, by forgiving, and it's by dying that one awakens to eternal life, right? Like, what is it in me that's dying? the hurt, the pain, um, and the resentment. And what's left is a sense of God. And in my meditation, I saw this man as so sad. Again, just because I have empathy doesn't mean I need that person in my life. But how can I be happy if one other person on this planet is suffering? It's, that may be a really people-pleasing thing to say. But I mean spiritually, like, I don't love that man. Nope, don't love him. But as a child of God, yep, I do. Until tomorrow when I get angry again. And then I'll have to forgive him. Anyway, I've seen your hand go up a lot, so... Okay. Okay. On the question is, have I ever been embarrassed by my eating in front of other people? Uh, yep. <laughs> I've been embarrassed eating in front of myself. Um, <laughs> like, literally eating. Like, okay. Do you think, like, at dinner the other night with two of my best friends who aren't in program, we got this dish that uh, was like, okay, it's nachos. You know how people do weird things with nachos now? They put kale on it. So we have, like, you know, so there's kale on top of these nachos. I've had these all, like, and, and so I'm sitting with my girlfriends, and I'm, like, picking it all, the, like, the kale. I'm shoving it into my mouth, and they're like, stop eating all the kale. And I was like, but aren't you proud of me eating my vegetables? And they're like, No. <laughs> Because I know, like, if I don't eat my vegetables first, they often don't get eaten. So I'm like, first the kale. Um, also, eating a salad last night, I drooled. <laughs> or like a piece of kale. Another kale thing. Fell out of my mouth. I was alone. It was my dog, my two cats, me on the couch. And I was like, ah, crap. You know, sometimes I eat too fast. So 
I can laugh about the embarrassment now, but honestly, for many years it was torturous. I remember the first date I went on while I was abstinent, the first time, you know, like being on an abstinent date. And at that time, my food plan was, if you're going to go out for Chinese food, you whatever you order, you eat that whole amount. Like, that's it. Eat it. So I'm eating my sesame chicken. I'm like, doop, doop, doop. Like, I could have been like fried Peking duck. Thank you. I'll end and just say, at the end of my meal, the guy said, that was impressive. 